Hubhopper Originals. To start your podcast for free, log on to studio.hubhopper.com. The answer is really start whatever you can and start whenever you can. And you know, the best time was 20 years ago, and the second best time is right here, right now. I love that Chinese uh, proverb. Yeah. And you know, you can do whatever fits your boat. Whether you want to start composting your food waste, you can help divert 60% of your waste from ever entering the oceans and landfills by just composting. Or if you want to segregate, or you want to organize a tree planting session in your neighborhood. Um, perhaps you want to start carrying your own, you know, tote bag to the grocery store. Maybe you want to start growing your own herbs. Mm. Um, the idea is to just basically, for me, sustainability means it's a lifestyle, um, like anything else. It's a way of living. And it's basically an idea where you don't take more from this Mother Earth than you actually put back. Hello and welcome to the Success with Savita podcast, where we share hot tips on how to do life and business without losing your mind. I'm your host, Savita Nanjapa, entrepreneur, high-achieving 9-to-5-er turned transformational success coach, helping you create a wildly successful business. Come hang out with me and other fabulous humans like you every week for stories and chats packed with a healthy dose of tips, resources, how-tos and real talk. Side effects may include a happier and more confident you with each passing day. Hi, and welcome to the Success with Savita podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I would like to take a moment to introduce my guest for today's episode, Sahar Mansoor. Sahar Mansoor is the founder and CEO of Bare Necessities, a zero-waste social enterprise. She is a circular economy nerd, a voracious learner, and a curious traveler. Sahar is co-author of Bare Necessities, How to Lead a Zero-Waste Life, published by Penguin Random House. Sahar has obtained accredited degrees on environmental topics in India, the USA, and England, becoming a University of Cambridge alumni. Her business offers zero-waste personal care, lifestyle, home care, and educational products and services, including online sustainability courses called Zero Waste in 30 and Sustainability in 30. She has also volunteered in Guatemala, Jamaica, and the Democratic Republic of Congo for humanitarian projects. Her time working at the World Health Organization in Geneva and Selco Foundation on implementing decentralized renewable energy projects in rural Karnataka enabled her to build bare necessities from the ground up. Her work has been recognized by Google India, Al Jazeera, NDTV, Vogue, Elle, Femina, and India Today, among others. Sahar has a 500-gram jar of waste that she brings to sustainability workshops she conducts, which is all the waste she has produced in the last five years. And that is remarkable. Join me as I talk to Sahar, not just on how she began her sustainability business, which is bare necessities, but also her journey so far and her tips for all of us to begin to do our own bit for the planet. Hi, and welcome to the Success with Savita podcast. Sahar, thank you so much for joining me this evening. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I think I have a lot to learn about zero waste, sustainability and all of that. But I think it's great to have an inspirational guest like you on our podcast. So thank you for your time. And I'm looking forward to this conversation. Savita, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for thinking of me. And I can't wait to kind of continue to have this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so diving right in because your work has been, it's so diverse, 
not only diverse, but it is inspiring. So tell me about your journey so far and how you came to start Bare Necessities. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Avita. So honestly, growing up, I think I've been an environmentalist since I was like a three-year-old. Uh, I spent every weekend in Cabin Park, family holidays meant, you know, jumping into waterfalls, uh, climbing trees, falling off of trees. I have two older sisters. My dad was extremely passionate about nature. Uh, but I think it was only when I was in college, I went to a small liberal arts school in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. where I actively kind of started to identify myself as an environmentalist. And I took all these environmental courses that really kind of just changed the direction of my life in so many ways. And I really started to kind of examine, especially the waste issue from an environmental lens. Mm -hmm. I remember very specifically kind of watching the short documentary of this lady named Bea Johnson, who is, you know, living this zero waste lifestyle. And I was like, that is amazing. <laughs> but uh -huh. also thought, uh, you know what, I could never do that. Um, I am a college student. I have a couple of jobs on campus. I have a scholarship to maintain. Um, you know, I, I, I can't possibly shop at all of those expensive whole food kind of stores that, um, you know, Bea is shopping at. Mm. Uh, but I remember this course kind of just being so so instrumental and kind of just imprinted in my mind that I kind of very confidently hopped into my dean's office and I said you know Dean Salazar you don't have the major I want here at LMU and he said what do you mean we have over 500 majors here mm -hmm. and um, you know we, I said yeah but I want to take environmental science in the science department and I want to take environmental policy in the political science department and I want to take that surfing science class so he just kind of looked at me, smiled and said, all right, grab a piece of paper and pen. And we highlighted every course that was offered in my university that had basically anything to do with the environment. Mm -hmm. And I think I was just so, so fortunate to be in that environment that was so willing to teach me and so happy to nurture me in any direction I basically possibly chose. Um, but I must admit, I was looking at things from a very kind of elitist mm -hmm. academic perspective. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I wanted to be a PhD, I wanted to be an environmental professor. Um, you know, I then moved on to University of Cambridge to pursue my higher studies after my undergrad, um, was on this again, PH, PhD track. Mm -hmm. And um, I suddenly, you know, didn't get this full ride scholarship. I didn't get the Gates Cambridge to continue my PhD at Cambridge. Okay. Um, so for the first time I had this time to kind of just think a little bit about what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I had this amazing opportunity to work at the World Health Organization in Geneva. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I, I hopped onto that track and I said, okay, let's explore things. Um, honestly, it was great to be in an environment where I didn't know everything. And, you know, I kind of um, pride myself on knowing so many things about the environment, but it was so nice, so challenging to be in this environment that I started to learn things from a health perspective that actually also have a huge impact on the environment and our health. And I, that intersection was really interesting. Um, but, you know, also being there amidst the Ebola outbreak was another kind of something that taught me a lot about kind of how quickly and swiftly countries kind of act on um, health yeah. versus climate action was something that really kind of stood out to me very specifically in that era of my life. Um, but again, fast forward a few years, I moved back home to Bangalore. Um, I started working at this social solar energy enterprise. So we were basically solarizing public health centers and hospitals, um, basically any kind of energy need that needed to be filled. Mm -hmm. And while I was working with this community, I worked with a waste picker community. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, the inequality was just so, so stark 
um, this fancy banged on a national airport is glossy and you know beautiful in this IT city and just not far away from them is this community that is living in very very um, humble homes you know blue top kind of plastic mm. houses no citizenship rights no access to food no access to lighting um, and for me this really kind of helped me to put aside my elitist academic perspective and just really look at waste from a human lens from a social mm -hmm. justice issue and I remember just kind of thinking back to that crazy video I watched when I was um, you know a sophomore in college and said you know what I'm going to try that very crazy zero waste lifestyle and mm. that is how I got started on my zero waste journey um, it was for very personal reasons um, you know other than my mom and perhaps sisters no one really knew what I was doing and why um, and I had a very personal uh, blog also that was called The Eco Minimalist um, back in 2015. Okay. And uh, you know, slowly I noticed that I think perhaps there are others who are also looking to consume more mindfully. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe this is a gap in the ecosystem that um, I can fill beyond just this personal level of living this low impact lifestyle. And that led me to start Pen Necessities. Wow. You know, I was researching this for, before uh, we started this interview, like last couple of days. And I was like, you know, why is it two people have such two different reactions? Like you wanted to do this, you actually did it. But otherwise, I'm like, I mean, I'm asking myself, how, how is it that this didn't occur to me? Because I'm talking about business and I haven't actually really worked with uh, businesses which are focusing on the environment, climate change, sustainability. And I feel like that's a goal that even I have taken on just from wanting to reach out to you and do this conversation, because I think what you're doing is very different. A lot of people reach out and say, I want to build social impact, but the work that you're doing is actually impact. And um, with that, I do want to ask you when you started Bare Necessities, um, the reason behind the name is not Jungle Book, is it? <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> I would buy Jungle Book. Uh, have lots of fond memories of my sisters and I dancing around the house to Jungle Book. Um, okay. But it also really just depicts how I feel about mm. land and the ethos so, so well. Um, because, you know, it really makes us all pause and ask us what are truly our barest necessities. Yeah. What makes us happy and what do we really need? Yeah, and Carbon Park, yes, I still go. Um, and I think uh, I've rediscovered Carbon Park once I had a kid. So thank you for sharing your journey so far. And with that, I do want to ask you, like you, I feel maybe I'm wrong. And I probably need to spend more time, you know, learning more about the work. But I feel like you're one of the early pioneers when it comes to zero waste. Um, and sustainability, at least in Bangalore. Like I recall um, reading in here about you way back uh, before pre-pandemic, I'm talking about 2017, 2018. So what are some changes that you see now that is different from when you started? Yeah, that's a great uh, question. Um, you know, I think when I started in 2015, um, this wasn't an Instagram phenomenon it is now. Yes. It wasn't cool, it wasn't sexy, it wasn't like the in thing to do. Um, and perhaps people even thought I was a little crazy. Uh, you know, some people were like, why did you kind of leave a cushy WHO kind of- For sure. For to sure. kind of work in the ecosystem of Kachra. Like, you know, that was mm. kind of the responses I was getting when I moved back home. Um, 
And I think that's, you know, calling me a pioneer, that's really generous of you. Um, <laughs> no, but you are, you're the only one person that I've heard of. Like I said, maybe I need to upgrade, but you were. So. No, definitely. It was, um, when, even when I entered this space, you know, I thought that the whole zero waste rhetoric was really dominated by this white girl kind of rhetoric, mm. which really didn't appeal to me. And I thought, you know, might not appeal to this Indian diaspora. And yeah. also because of the irony of kind of decolonizing that narrative, mm. because it is something that we have been doing for generations. Um, you know, my, this is what my nani used to kind of wash her hair and clothes. And, you know, the Indian stainless steel tiffin is like this 18th century Indian invention, mm-hmm. which has now kind of become the poster child of the zero waste movement in Brooklyn. I mean, you know, it was just kind of absurd that there was a lack of Asian voices in that whole arena, which is, you know, and we are basically talking about going back to our bazaars, we're talking about bulk stores. In a lot of ways, it was something that was so accessible and you know, so easily found here in India. Mm. Um, and I think that's why I even wrote the book uh, with Penguin, yeah. How to Lead a Zero Waste Life. It's everything I wish I knew in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got all of my failures. It's got all of the failed experiments in my mom's kitchen, the lessons I learned along the way, and kind of why I felt that we needed to create an Indian book written by an Indian for the Indian. Yeah, yeah. Um, and do you... Yeah. And do you feel there's been a change since when you started to now? Are more people more at least aware and there's some action on the ground? Absolutely, Sabita. I think um, more and more people are aware about kind of why our waste footprint matters, what we can do on an individual level, whether that is composting, whether that's segregating our waste, whether it's just even having those conversations around sustainability and what we can do um, and how we can consume, how we ask brands questions. Um, I think the social media kind of era has also really spurred that, Mm. um, kind of made that information very easy, very accessible, and also made it okay to ask questions. Um, So I I think definitely it's um, a whole nother ballgame now in, you know, 2021 versus when I was starting in 2015. Yeah, I'm sure it's, it's and I think it'll continue to evolve. And with that, I do want to ask you, what do you think, because you've been in this for a while now, uh, leading change and impact, what are some key, key areas for all of us to focus on as a community? Because there is a lot of, there are a lot of voices out there and there are a lot of things to be focusing on. But according to you, what are those key focus areas that is important right now, let's say for the next, say, five years for us as a community to focus on? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think some key areas is to honestly foster collaboration in this ecosystem, mm-hmm. um, especially for sustainable social impact-driven businesses. We're trying to basically change the way something has been done for like 30, 40 odd years, whether that is you know, through the uh, mainstream fast-moving consumer products um, or more. So whether you're in fashion and trying to build an ethical fashion brand or you're trying to kind of uh, bring in a refill model that, you know, hasn't existed for so long. I think what we really need right now is the art of conversation and the art of meaningful collaboration and not just something that is, you know, uh, for Instagram, but really on a deeper level is helping this ecosystem move this kind of mission forward. Because, you know, we know that the time is now. I mean, we are reading the IPCC reports. We know we don't have that much time left. We know that, you know, the way we've been doing businesses has only kind of done 
benefit to one metric, which is profit, and kind of mm-hmm. ignored the people metrics and the planet metrics. And um, so I think, you know, whether that is setting up a cleanup in your community, or whether that's a beach cleanup or a city cleanup, and then kind of painting or revamping a certain area, um, whether that means, you know, just fostering um, collaboration in the form of a fun clothes swap in your building. Um, I think all of the ideas that we've ever actually, you know, thought about, it's time Mm -hmm. to actualize them now. And as a community, I think we need collaboration more than ever now. Yeah, I think you've put it so well. Uh, And I like that you say it has to go beyond uh, social media and Instagram. And therefore, tell me building and scaling bare necessities, what have been some key challenges for you? Yeah, great question, Savita. And I think, you know, listening to your podcast, you definitely interview a lot of people who have a business focus. Like I listened to Shalini's episode. Um, I love to kind of shoot the people episode. So yeah. I, you know, the focus that you have on and your kind of your audience um, who are kind of building sustainable businesses or just businesses in general, I think that's a really good and valuable question. Thank um, you. I think for me, access to capital was huge. You know, I grew up in a single mom house. I have two older sisters. Um, I lost my dad in a really tragic accident when I was eight years old, when I was crossing the road with him. Um, oh my God. Okay. And I, you know, moved back to Bangalore and I kind of had this urge to start this business. I, I didn't have the comfort of kind of just diving in and starting. I kept my full-time job for a really long time, for more than a year and a half, um, until I had some sort of cushion, some sort of money that I could kind of invest into my idea. Mm. And, you know, coming back home, I definitely met a lot of um, uh, entrepreneurs who had the, you know, the comfort of having their parents lend them some money to try out an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I definitely did not have that. Uh, so I think, you know, some of those challenges were really hard along the way, but no regrets because I really think they have built me and they helped make me more resilient. Um, you know, I've done like, gosh, a couple of hundred odd field, you know, a couple of hundred odd field pitches before actually, you know, making the, the right pitches that ultimately led to investment, for example. Yeah. Uh, and the formula, you know, that worked for me growing up, which was work really hard, you'll get a scholarship, you know, yeah. you'll do well, that just did not work in the funding ecosystem. Mm. And if I was a 24 year old single female founder trying to pitch a business on circularity and sanity and sustainability and sustainability, Bangalore is so kind of focused towards um, or partial towards tech startups for obvious kind yes. of scaling. Yes. Um, but, and also just the investing landscape it was not open to kind of understanding circular business models. Right. When they're asking you repeat rates and you're saying, hey, I'm trying to sell you one product so you don't need to buy a stainless steel straw ever again. <laughs> um, you know, those kind of metrics just did not fit into regular investor speak. Mm. So for me, I think raising funds was a huge challenge. Um, it also definitely kind of shook my self-esteem because, you know, um, I, my, I went to school not very far away from where Shark Tank was shot in Los Angeles. You know, wow. I have friends who've been on the show, pitched it, it's been fun. If nothing else, you know, a little bit of a um, few minutes of fame uh, or lit- led to some collaborations or just just generally my cohort, my friends from Cambridge or um, LMU, being able to re- raise capital to start businesses with f- far more ease than I had it mm. um, in, you know, 2015. 
And I think that was really, really hard because I just didn't know what was going wrong. And of course, now in hindsight, I'm able to kind of point out a few things. But um, at that time, it definitely just shook me as an individual and kind of shook my confidence a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, what you're uh, saying is going to resonate with every other female founder who is trying to raise funds at this time. Because from where you were then, uh, it may have improved by a few notches, but it's still, I mean, every woman still has some of these challenges and it does impact your self-esteem, right? Uh, it is true because you start to feel like, is it me, is it the product? What am I not doing right? So uh, thank you for sharing that because that's something that a lot of people, uh, I mean, did you think, okay, I do want to ask, a lot of people don't share um, as vulnerably as you have, but did you think you would have done it if you'd known how hard it was going to be? Now when you look back. <laughs> That's a really good question. Honestly, I was I would say that I had naivety on my side. I was, you know, 24 or something, and uh I just dived right in. I had no idea what that was or GSD was or anything. So um maybe if I knew it was this hard, perhaps I would have never tried. <laughs> yeah, but I think um sometimes the unknown is great because you you don't know how. Uh, challenging or how difficult it can be and sometimes that can be a stopper because no one wants to go in knowing oh my god this like that's going to be a smaller percentage but now people feel have that can-do spirit and then you go in and then like everything else there are going to be ups and downs but moving on uh, what was the first product you created? Yeah, so it started again with personal care products. Mm -hmm. um, it started with creating kind of natural toothpaste because, you know, the first thing we all do when we wake up in the morning is brush our teeth. Yeah. And how many of us can even name like, you know, three ingredients found in our average toothpaste? How many of us know how many chemicals are actually in our toothpaste? And that magic number is actually 21 on an average, which is crazy to me. Um, wow. So I started really basic. Really. <laughs> I failed before you even started. I'm like, okay, what are these three scramble? Okay, <laughs> 21. Okay, wow. So, um, you know, the idea was to just create products that we use on a daily basis that are designed not to land up in our oceans and landfills, mm -hmm. that aren't packaged in plastic, aren't loaded with chemicals, to basically, you know, cre create really conscious consumer products. Because there are 7 billion people of us and all of us are arguably going to brush our teeth and shower. And the idea of us being clean in order to be clean, to kind of create this insane trash footprint just made no sense to me. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the premise in which Benesastis was started. And we kind of created um, fun little pop-up markets or flea markets once a month um, on Saturdays and Sundays. And every month we would actually add one new product okay. and it was super fun. We, I felt like I was co-creating with my first yeah. few customers. Um, you know, people would come back and say, Hey, what do you have today? What do you have this month? And they would give me feedback from, Oh, you know, that deodorant you sold me last month. I really like this, but I didn't quite like this. Mm. So um, we had young mothers who were kind of there who were really knowledgeable about ingredients that are, you know, in their traditional personal care products or, um, you know, young kind of uh, students and um, millennials who were just looking to start aligning their consumer choices with their values. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting. And those few conversations with that first cohort of customers really helped us to kind of um, create, you know, the first 10 
odd products that we want we and kind of continue to create. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. Stay tuned as we take a quick break and we'll see you on the other side of the show. Okay, awesome. So you started personal care and and it was a great you answered my next question which was how did you find your first 100 customers? So you did the pop-ups and because you continue to do it every month, the same customers kind of came back. So you actually found, let's say, product market fit uh, on the ground because you were talking to your customers, you're getting feedback, you're going back, um, making those changes that customers were telling you about. And uh, so from, from the pop-ups, what happened next? How did you transition into a fully online um, store what was your yeah. next milestone? Yeah, definitely. So I think, you know, that was just invaluable feedback because mm-hmm. there are so many non-verbal cues when you're standing kind of across the table trying to sell someone a lip balm or a compostable bamboo toothbrush. And all of those things that will not be, you know, articulated to you via just creating an online website. Um, You'll never know, yeah. right? So those non-verbal cues just teach you so much about, you know, perhaps different hesitations people might have or questions people might have. So your learning is just kind of expedited. Uh, it's like learning on steroids at those pop-ups, you know, with your first few customers. Um, and I think that was something that was really, really invaluable for me. And then after that, I had a store like this organic um, okay. clothes, uh, this, you know, organic um, grocery store yeah. that was, um setting up and they mm-hmm. asked us if we would sell them in bulk okay. and if we would white label for them and for me that was perfect um you know I had a full-time job in the solar and energy industry that I absolutely loved and adored um this was kind of a low risk way of entering the market validating all of my hypotheses about kind of repeat rates of customers when will someone you know go back to buy that detergent mm. um how much are people willing to pay for these products and stuff like that so I um, would make all of these products in bulk and I would kind of sell it to the organic gro- grocery store that would then white label the products. And eventually I had enough capital to go ahead and kind of register my business, you know, think about getting the trademarks in place and all of that. Okay. So um, that's how I got started with that, you know, bulk store. So which basically meant every time when I came back home from my job at like 6, 6.30, I would just shower and I would be making products in my mom's kitchen. Okay. Um, weekends were delivery days. I would literally just load up my mom's car and um, go and deliver all of the products by myself. I was um, a one-person army for a really mm-hmm. long time. And um, yeah, that was basically the beginning of um, how we start to create customers. The, the good old days and <laughs> yeah, hard. I mean, really hard, tough days, but fun times as well, I'm sure. And I do want to ask you this. I'm sure because it's it's a new product and it's always like that when you do something disruptive, you have to kind of also create not just awareness, but also educate. Did you find that you had to do that even with, uh, like how do you say was the uh, adoption rate when uh, you took the product to market? Yeah, definitely. That's a great question. Um, we were, we didn't have to just build products. You're totally right. We had to basically build awareness for the products. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, what we did in the early days through the form of these trash talks and workshops, um, you know, just anyone who was willing to listen really. So we've done talks and workshops at schools, at cafes, at yoga studios, at corporate offices. 
it was a way of kind of building awareness, creating a market for your products. And I think that was really crucial. And I think that's helped the entire ecosystem, even if that, you know, that means that that person isn't going to purchase a bare product, but going to buy another conscious product. I think that's also in a way helping this mission forward. Um, because for me, really the goal ultimately is um, for Bear to have impact and by virtue of basically not having plastic products land up in our oceans and landfills. And if that means that people who our workshops are making their own products, amazing, let it be. Um, so we're not at all, you know, secretive about our ingredients and stuff. Everything is listed in a very, very transparent manner. In our talks and workshops, we in fact teach people how to make their own products in their own kitchen if they have the time and the energy to do so. Um, and the other thing that we do is we were doing these kind of talks and workshops for a really long time, but at the same time, it was not very scalable. I would have like World Environment Day, someone wanting me in Hyderabad, someone wanting me in Delhi, Kochi, and obviously it was impossible to do that. So we actually created an online course around sustainability and, mm -hmm. you know, that would just make it easy and accessible for anyone else who was kind of looking to start a zero waste journey or a low impact journey, didn't know where to start. We have a bunch of DIY videos. We have experts who basically have been very pivotal in my own sustainability journey and have really influenced my own thought process mm -hmm. and have roped them in. Um, so everyone I really deeply love and respect are, is, you know, in one or a, one or all of our courses. And okay. we currently have three online um, courses around sustainability. Wow. And I've okay. that. Yeah, and I think that's been a great way to create awareness, to educate, to inform. And so many of the people who are in our courses are creating their own small sustainable businesses, whether that's in the clothing arena or, you know, uh, starting a green team within their own corporate office. So the response has just been so, so overwhelming and so beautiful. Wonderful. I love that um, it is beyond just, you know, it's about impact and it's about the why. The why is so large that... You're saying you're transparent. We don't mind if people create their own products. We will teach you how. And we also have a course. So just take this course. I will be one of those course participants for sure. So I can get myself better educated. So I can do my bit for my uh, planet. And with that, I do want to ask you, I may be putting you on the spot here. But overall, when you look back, would you say this has been a profitable venture when we look at it from the lens of running up your business? I think it's been so, so profitable on so many levels. Mm. Um, first one being financial metrics, yeah. but two in terms of just the impact it's created in terms of the women's lives who work in our manufacturing team. They're mm. all local women who, you know, maybe have finished fourth grade, maybe have not. Learning English, learning computer skills. And, you know, I think I have created profit or value in their life. Um, I think I've cre created profit and value in the value chains that the people that we source from whether that is, you know, cocoa butter from Mason and Co, another women love enterprise that creates chocolates in out of Orville. So mm. definitely I think we've created value across the value chain, but on a pure economic level, per unit economic level, of course, we're also profitable. Um, before we raised funds as well, and now we're being a little experimental and of course the pandemic has changed a few things. So we do have a small burn, but mm. um, yeah, I think it's, um, beyond even just the economic metrics that will show up on an Excel spreadsheet. I think we've been profitable on so many levels. <laughs> well, congratulations, because this is something that is, is also something that people need to hear because people tend to think it's either, oh, it's a social cause, then, you know, maybe it's not going to be something that you do as a hobby. It's not something that can really be your bread and butter. So I'm so glad you shared that. 
And uh, I'm very excited about what it can grow into uh, because I can really see this just becoming not just where it is right now, but what it's, what is possible for in terms of your ability to reach billions of people and have them, you know, convert to using these products. And with that, I do want to bring the questions back to you. Um, just one more before we come back, come to your life and what's your mantra. I want to know what would should be some factors uh, like one or two that you can name for a person if they want to embrace a sustainable lifestyle. Because it's, you know, everybody is using this word, but what does it really mean? What are one or two things I can do? Is it one, two is enough? It should be whole lifestyle change. What is your advice to start? Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really good question. I get that asked a lot. I think the, I, the answer is really start whenever you can and start whenever you can. And, mm -hmm. you know, the best time was 20 years ago and the second best time is right here right now i love that chinese uh, proverb yeah. and you know you can do whatever fits your boat whether you want to start composting your food waste you can help divert 60 percent of your waste from ever entering the oceans and landfills by just composting or if you want to segregate or you want to organize a tree planting session in your neighborhood um, perhaps you want to start carrying your own, you know, tote bag to the grocery store. Maybe you want to start growing your own herbs. Mm. Um, the idea is to just basically, for me, sustainability means it's a lifestyle, um, like anything else. It's a way of living. And it's basically an idea where you don't take more from this mother earth than you actually put back. So mm. what are ways in which you are replenishing back this gorgeous mama earth? Um, and how, what can you do to be uh, just a little lighter? on this planet so start wherever you can um, all about the baby steps um so yeah yeah beautifully put and heartwarming for someone like me who you know sometimes we always think about the biggest things but actually it's the little things that you can and should be doing and um, yeah so planting trees is definitely up my street as is composting as is all the other ideas that you've shared and therefore now, when it comes to you, I, I want to ask you, when it came to personal change for yourself, because it always begins with you and then, you know, you see what you apply, you see the results of that. And that's usually how the best businesses are built. So when it came to personal change, where did you start with this journey? What was the changes that you made in your own life and lifestyle? Yeah, definitely. Um, so the first place that I tackled really was my personal care routine because, you know, in India, especially when you, you live a lot with your co-inhabitants, right? Whether that is your roommates, your parents, your loved ones, your partner, whatever. And you can't just, you know, overnight bring in a new value system and kind of dictate that everyone moves a certain way, um, right? So, but your personal care routine, which is Everything you do in the bathroom, you have full control over, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Tells you toothpaste to use. No one tells you kind of, um, no one interferes. So for me, that was the best and easiest place to start. And that's where I started. And I noticed by just kind of composting my food waste, by kind of changing all of the food vendors or, you know, getting food as far as possible in kind of a package-free manner and switching up my personal care routine to a low-impact one, I was basically able to kind of divert 80% of my waste right away. Wow. And that was kind of where I started. And for my mom, who is my co-inhabitant, mm -hmm. um, I realized that for her, it was perhaps not so much of a waste motivation, but 
when I started to get like this amazing, you know, uh, produce from Uti, from a farm, kind of delivered in this cardboard box every Tuesday, she just yeah. fell in love with the produce of the food. She didn't care that it was in a cardboard box or it was, you know, zero waste packaging or whatever, whatever, you know, grown in a really sustainable way. She was just like, this is amazing. This is the quality of, you know, vegetables and produce I used to have growing up in Belgaum. Yeah. So, and she's this, you know, yoga guru, like has been practicing yoga for 30 odd years. So being also really kind and patient with your loved ones or your co-inhabitants and speaking to them in a metric or in a way that kind of resonates with them. And it doesn't have to be an environmental motivation for everyone. Um, maybe someone else will approach this from a health lens. Yeah. Um, but you know, ultimately, if your goal is the same, um, which is, or, you know, your idea is to basically try and transition to being just a little kinder to the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a way to make it happen. Voila, mm-hmm. do it. Okay. I have a few more questions. So I'm going to go really fast right now because I'm loving the conversation so far. I actually have a lot of questions, but I know with the time, I'm going to try to keep it short. So what do you wish you had more support with in, in this whole journey, right? From 2015 till now, which area do you wish you had more support? Um, Honestly, it would definitely be raising funds. It's an mm. area that people don't speak about much. Um, you know, you can speak one-on-one uh, with founders to understand about how they raise funds, how hard it is, or how many rejections they had to kind of rack up before they actually kind of closed one. Um, so I think for me, that was honestly a very, very difficult area uh, and continues to be a difficult area. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I think that's something that we, I would love more support on, uh, more so, than just like a webinar format, like do this, do that, like yeah, genuinely yeah. like, how the hell do I do this? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think um, that's an area that we could just as a startup ecosystem be a little bit more open on as well. Yeah, I I think great, great um, choice because that's really an area that a lot of founders struggle with. Um, A day in your life, what does it look like? Okay, so 6 to 10 a.m. I try and be like technology free, whether that Mm -hmm. means, you know, walk in Cabin Park, um, you know, a spin class, football in the morning with my football girls, um, I try and be technology free for the morning. Um, okay. I love to meditate. I love making my own breakfast. So that means like a smoothie bowl um, or, you know, a moong dal dosa. Listening mm-hmm. to my favorite podcast, which is How I Built This. Yes, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> Mine too. Gairaz <laughs> is the best, yeah. So um, yeah, keeping my mornings really sacred. Um, a nice shower with a lovely playlist. And then I'm kind of ready to embrace and start my day. Um, so yeah, that's how I start. And then it's just like back-to-back meetings, you know, product development, team meetings, um, marketing ideas, just, it, it's just uh, filled with lots of collaboration, lots of fun. Okay. All right. And do you travel a lot as well for work pre-pandemic, of course? Yeah, definitely. Pre-pandemic, I was traveling a lot. Um, but honestly, I think I've been a little kind of to my, uh, to the planet and kind of reduced my carbon emissions and footprint. Mm. I this year and yeah my next question was what what's a mantra you live by but I think everything that you've shared so far covers that um so I do have one qu- one question that I was very curious about which is uh, you carry your 500 gram jar of waste um to your sustainability workshops and that's the waste that you produce so far how does that even I mean 
like i just can't get my head around it <laughs> yeah um, so, well, I... <laughs> so I how do you achieve that like definitely one two three things how do you achieve that composting i'm sure segregation i'm sure um exactly. uh, so recyclable get all of my food in kind of a recyclable format a reusable format so identifying vendors that are giving you food in you know glass jars and things like that mm. um, making my own personal care products but also of course you know buying very mindfully from mindful businesses uh, such as bears etc um growing my own i grow um you know whatever a little bit i can but that means herbs or fruit or avocado um and yeah i i don't shop a lot i i thrift um I, yeah basically trying to oh, wow. okay i love i love all of that <laughs> yeah amazing uh, i i think i when, when i saw it on your uh, bio i said wow this is hard but now that i'm hearing you i'm like yeah okay it is possible it can be done so i think thank you for that because you at least in this interview i have really got myself a faster education than if i had to just like pick up a book and read or think about getting to it one day you know the composting bit which i've been sitting on um and finally before i let you go uh, a piece of advice to entrepreneurs who are trying to build sustainable products and offerings because a lot of businesses are there right now yeah definitely um i would say really push the needle mm-hmm. and be innovative i think you know um don't just kind of follow the path that everyone's told you to do like be bold in your vision of trying to you know recreate whatever you're trying to create um and yeah be very authentic to whoever whatever brand you are building and your voice and brand as a company um it's so easy to kind of just like mimic or take off stuff um of other people's language on their website or you know a caption or a storyboard that they've done but you know really take the time to build an authentic brand from scratch um that resonates with you and you know the best time to do it is right now so just like nike says just do it yeah yeah great great advice and sahar before i let you go how do people how can people join the course how do people connect of course i'll be dropping all the links but what's the best way to connect with uh, connect and buy from bare necessities yeah bennessities.in is your one stop shop it's got the book uh, which is also available in all of the stores in india um also available on amazon and um yeah the course is bare learning um so your one stop shop is bennessities.in we're also super super active on social media so if you ever have a question about you know there is some white fungus in my compost what do i do just send us a pic on dms and we'll help answer them wow thank you thank you so much so people have the book if you don't want to read the book but you still want to learn there's the course and then you can just can't put together the ingredients yourself make your own stuff just buy from benesisties and any questions to just dm you on social media i'm going to be dropping all the links below and with that sahar thank you so very much for your time today i think it's been a very enlightening um con uh, conversation so far and for me personally of course i think half the time i do the podcast mostly i'm like learning and i'm like talking to the guest but i think what you shared today has a lot of value for our audience so thank you for that and thank you for being here today with us so much for having me savita it was such a blast talking to you and thank you for thinking of me of course all the time we are sustainability is the future so 
um, this is my way of making sure the word gets out there a little bit more. Thank you. And we'll be in touch and all the best on this journey. Uh, it's, um, I will be rooting for you. I'll be rooting for you. I'll be cheering you on. And I look forward uh, to seeing Bear Necessities um, grow in their footprint across the globe. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like this episode and you want more, you can go to the show notes on my website, which is successwithsavita.com forward slash podcast. If you like what you've heard so far, I would be grateful to you if you could leave me a five-star review, subscribe to this podcast and share with a friend who may find this useful. You can also follow me on my Instagram at successwithsavita and DM me any questions you may have and I will be happy to answer them for you. Until the next episode, believe in yourself and all the best to your success. This Hub Hopper original ko sunne ke liye aapka shukriya. Agar aap bhi apna podcast launch karna chahte hain, to Hub Hopper Studio website pe register kare aur ek minute ke andar andar apna khud ka podcast launch kare. यही नहीं स्टूडियो देता है आपको पूरी आजादी कहीं भी कभी भी अपना पॉडकास्ट लॉन्च करने की सिर्फ तीन आसान स्टेप्स में तो साथ में अपना पॉडकास्ट शुरू करने के लिए तैयार जस्ट हॉप ऑन हब हॉपर सिंपली कंटेंट।